Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see everybody this morning. Uh, welcome to Christ Central Church. If uh, you are a first-time visitor, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, really glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Psalms. We've titled this series, The Songs of the Heart. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, and I'm going to ask God to speak to us this morning as we read His Word that He would speak. So, as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read His Word, and then I'm going to pray for us. This is God's Word to us this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals His knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a, set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let me pray for us. God, we ask now as we come to your word that you would speak. I ask that you speak, God. Holy Spirit, would you come and uh, the words that I say, may they be your words, not mine. Anything that is of me be quickly removed and forgotten. All that is of you, from you, may it be written on the tablet of our heart, ingrained in our minds. God, change us, transform us, speak, and may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart now be acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A seat. Well, I, I started this series by telling us that the Psalms are a toolbox of prayer, that they are and uh, they were and they are the church's historical prayer book. They mold, they shape, they form us in our prayer life. This book of Psalms is an incredible gift to us as the church, as believers. And let me just highlight before I get in a, a few ways to be involved in prayer uh, at Christ Central Church. Uh, city groups, uh, every week we gather in city groups, and city groups are, are a time in smaller communities that we pray together. Uh, we discuss the Word, we have fun together, but we also pray. Uh, so city groups are a great time uh, to get involved in prayer. After the service, we often offer prayer for you to come and, and be prayed with and for. Uh, and as Timothy said at the beginning, we are now beginning Wednesday morning, 7.15 a.m. here at Haiti. prayer. Prayer for one another, prayer for this church, prayer for the city and the world. And so we'd love for you to come and 
participate in prayer with us on Sunday mornings, but, uh, or on Wednesday mornings. Uh, prayer in our culture, though, today is, is becoming somewhat in vogue to, to pray, right? We, we meditate. People meditate today, and it's called prayer. Right? People like to journal, write out their thoughts, call it prayer. Uh, people may like to stop and to reflect, it's called prayer. Maybe even writing some poetry, it's called prayer. Prayer has become a very positive cultural expression for finding oneself, right? Rachel and I love the TV show Parenthood. I mean, y'all watch Parenthood, but in, in season five, uh, there are a few episodes where Jabbar, he's the son of, of Jasmine and Crosby, and they're not religious, uh, but Jabbar, they find Jabbar at, at night kneeling beside his bed and praying. And Crosby and Jasmine are concerned. They want to talk to their son about religion and about prayer. And so Crosby and Jabbar are out on their front porch, uh, and they're talking, and they're looking up into the stars uh, at night. And Crosby looks over at his son, and he says, uh, Jabbar, I just want to let you know uh, your mom and I aren't very religious, but what we're doing here talking amongst family and what we're doing looking up into the stars, that is my kind of prayer. That's my kind of prayer. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, left ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God that we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. And then in our speaking, we mature in the great art of conversation with God that is called prayer. You see, the Psalms are not prayers that seek God, but they are prayers that respond to the God who seeks us. Prayer is growing in the art of conversation with the God who reveals himself to us and speaks to us. That is very different from what our culture may describe as prayer. This is not speaking to the God of our imagination. It's not speaking to a God that says what we like Him to say. This is not speaking to a God who is the way we want Him to be. But this is responding and speaking back to a God who speaks and reveals Himself to us. As Christians, we believe that our God has made Himself known. And that our God is a God of love. And He has made His love and His care and His concern for us, His people, known. Let me share briefly how I proposed to my wife, Rachel. Now, this is not to be grandiose, not to, to boast or showboat, but it's purposeful, I promise. So uh, we were in Birmingham, Alabama, where she was living, and, uh, and I decided that I was going to propose this night. And so we were at her house and uh, took her away. We were going to go pick up uh, takeout food where we had our first date. And I had some of my good friends come over to her house, and they decorated her front porch lights, flowers, candles, and then they put a book on her front porch swing. And we were coming back in, and as we were driving back in, she sees there's lights, there's candles, there's flowers on her front porch. She, she knows something's happening. She knows I'm probably going to ask the question. And so we, uh, you know, my heart is like, it's racing. Uh, and we get up on her front porch, and I pull off this book that is on her front porch swing, which is this book. Letters to Rachel. Letter to Rachel, which is a book that I had made of letters that I had been writing to her since our first day we met. She had never read them. 
Letters that I had been writing to her of our conversations, of our experiences, and of how my love was growing for her uh, as our relationship developed. And I proposed. Uh, she said yes. We went in. We had dinner. And then she asked me to read all of these letters that I had written over the five or four and a half months that we had dated. This book, Letters to Rachel, revealed my heart to my wife. I spoke of my love to her. This is something that is close to our bedroom that will remind her of how much I love her and will assure her when she may doubt of my love for her when maybe I don't always act like I love her. Uh, she can look at it and it reminds her. God deeply loves you. God deeply loves us. And He has revealed His heart to us. He has spoken to us and given us things that will remind us and assure us when we doubt His love. Psalm 19 gives us two ways that our God speaks and reminds us of His love. And then a response to this speech. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing is that God speaks through creation. This, this psalm breaks down pretty easily. Verses 1 to 6, God speaks through creation. Look at verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Declares. It proclaims. It pours out speech. But then verse 3 sounds a little confusing. There's no speech, nor are there words. The handiwork of God speaks, but it speaks without words. And then this verse 4 says this proclamation without words, it goes to the ends of the earth. It goes to the whole world. Many have noted that this is talking about God's nonverbal communication. God's nonverbal communication. And nonverbal communication, like that. I didn't use any words, but all of you just knew what I just said, right? Nonverbal communication. Voice does not need to be used in order to communicate. And Psalm 19 is saying God's nonverbal communication is spoken to the whole world. It is spoken to everyone. Now, there's scientific, scientific evidence now of, uh, that regardless, the scientific evidence of people now, that regardless of ethnicity, geography, socioeconomic class, that all people share the same facial expressions or the same nonverbal cues when expressing how they feel. Someone in Bangladesh who is sad and someone in Durham, North Carolina who is sad makes the same facial expression. Someone in Liberia and someone in Durham, North Carolina who is glad often makes the same facial expression. Nonverbal communication transcends often culture, personality, and place. And what the psalmist is saying is that God's creative handiwork, His creation tells of His glory, tells of His majesty, regardless of where you are and who you are. God's nonverbal communication in His creative handiwork is spoken to the whole world. All can understand it. A rainbow in China and a rainbow in Mexico, and a rainbow in Durham, North Carolina, are all looked at with awe and amazement. If you remember a few years ago, that YouTube, the double rainbow, anybody else saw that? The guy was flipping out, double rainbow! 
no. He's like, I mean, just freaking out. A double rainbow would have the same reaction all across the globe. Amazement and awe, right? And this psalm tells us that in the creative works of God, the heavens, God is revealing himself as the great artist who is at work. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the whole world has been shown that God exists through his creation. Nature and creation speaks of a creator God, a great artist. Which is why sitting under the stars, or sitting on top of a mountain, or sitting on the shore of an ocean, it does something to our insides. It's relaxing. It's therapeutic. It's calming. Because the works of creation remind us that we are not alone. There is someone over us, a great artist, that we call God. C.S. Lewis talks about how the Christian view of creation is the most balanced view of nature. As Christians, we do not view creation as something that's just going to pass away. And as Christians, we do not view and understand creation to do something that it was never intended to do for us. We have a balanced view. We actually look at creation and we are humbled by it. As we see that there is a great artist who's created this world and that same great artist has created us. And then it brings this awe and this longing and this yearning to know this creator. Which is why Romans chapter 1 says all people are without excuse. That God has spoken to the whole world. Nonverbal communication is able to be understood by everyone. The Bible teaches us that the rain falls on the good and the bad. The sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous. God has been so gracious to the whole world that He created a theater to display His glory. A theater called creation that speaks without words to the whole world. Do you hear Him speaking? He speaks through His creation. The psalmist uses two metaphors to describe the creation of the sun in verses 5 to 6. He says the sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber going to receive his bride. That bridegroom is passionate, right? The bridegroom is going to receive his bride filled with passion and purpose. And then the second metaphor, the sun's like a strong man, a champion running a race with joy. A champion running face first into battle with passion and joy. And I know this is an old reference, but I love Braveheart. Imagine William Wallace going headfirst into battle with passion and purpose. God speaks to all of us here. He speaks to the whole world. And not just a whisper, but God shouts. God proclaims, God declares with passion and purpose that He is the Creator over you and He's the Creator over the whole world. Do you hear Him speaking? As much as nonverbal communication can tr transcend culture, place, personality, let's be honest, it can still be misunderstood and wrongly interpreted, right? I mean, if, I, if I'm up here and I make this facial expression, you all know I'm sad. Right? sad. That's a sad face. But you don't know if I got in a fight with Rachel or maybe a family member died. Maybe I lost my job or maybe I have no money. Right? A sad face speaks in general, but it does not speak specifically. It does not speak clear enough to give you full understanding of the situation, which is why God speaks not just through creation, 
God speaks to us through His Word. That's my second point. God speaks to us through His Word, verses 7 to 11. God humbles us by creation. We know there's a great artist. We long and we yearn to know more than He's just the Creator. We want Him to know Him specifically and intimately, and thankfully, God has spoken clearly. God has spoken specifically and revealed Himself fully. Verse 1 of Psalm 19, the Hebrew for God is El, which is the very general description of God, God over the universe. But in verse 7, there's a shift in the Hebrew. Verses 7, 8, and 9, the Hebrew for God is now Yahweh, which is the personal name for God. And the psalmist is being very clear that God wants to know us intimately and personally, and the way we do that is through the written word of God. Creation is not enough to know God personally. Nonverbal communication is not enough. God speaks verbally. He gives us His Word. And Timothy mentioned last week when he preached of us going to a, a one-week pastoral kind of counseling intensive equipping week. One of the guys in our group had an incredible breakthrough on Saturday morning. He, uh, he's a 40-something-year-old guy, and he started to remember of growing up with his dad. Uh, and his dad would work all week long. Uh, and then on Saturdays, his dad would go play golf all day long. And then on Sundays, his dad and the family would go to church, but then they would come home after church, and his dad would lay on the couch and watch golf or NASCAR all day long. And our friend had a breakthrough as he remembered, and he said he remembered wanting to yell at his dad. Dad, get off the couch. Get off the couch and spend time with me, Dad. I want to know my Father. I want to know you. And many dads today are never home. And when they are home, they're not really home. And as a result, many children grow up without knowing their fathers. But praise the Lord that our Heavenly Father is Emmanuel, God with us. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden of the cool of the day. He talked with them. He was present with them. And even in our rebellion, God still says, I'm here. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I am present. And he does that by his word. And this psalm gives us an incredible description of the word of God in verses 7 to 9. Listen to the nouns describing the word of God. It's God's law. It's his testimony, it's his precepts, it's his commandments, it's his rule. I mean, that's a comprehensive view of God's word. And then listen to how it's described. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true. And now listen to its power. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. This is a rich description of God's Word, and much could be pulled out from just those three verses, but let me give you just a few points. The first thing that I want to say is that God's Word is authoritative. It is authoritative. God speaks, and in speaking, we should listen. The very truth that God is the Creator over all, and then speaks specifically to us, should cause, verse 9, fear which is awe, respect, reverence, a listening ear. 
Now, we live in a time where we like to stand over the Bible, right? We like to stand over the Bible, and, uh, and we like to judge the Bible. We're the judge of what's right or what's wrong about this book, right? It's like Thomas Jefferson, who cut parts out of the Bible that he didn't like and made his own Bible, the Jeffersonian Bible. We like to come to God's Word, and we stand over it, and we make judgments about it, and the parts that we don't like, we discard we stand over the Bible today and we say, well, I don't really like the idea of hell. I'm going to take that part out. I don't really like what the Bible says about money or about sex, and I'm going to take that part out. And I'm going to define my own worldview apart from the Bible. But the reality is that God's Word stands over us, and it judges us, and it leads us to life, and it guides us into righteousness if we trust it if we listen to it. God's Word is authoritative. The second thing about God's Word is that it is powerful. God's Word is powerful. It's perfect. It revives the soul. It restores the whole of our lives. It can lead to completeness. There's not a part of us that God's Word cannot change and cannot touch. In our city group on Wednesday night, we read 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, which if you're in a city group, you uh, hopefully read as well. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and the woman of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And I shared as we dwelled on that passage, I shared this, that as a pastor, as a pastor, <laughs> it is easy to get into the temptation to think, to give into the temptation to think that I better have my act together. I better not make any mistakes as a pastor. I better do A, B, C, and D. As though I'm the one with the power to lead this church or shepherd this church or guide and see change within. Psalm 19 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that the power to change and to lead and guide and govern and transform completely lies within God's Word, not within any pastor. And the power to change and to transform is complete. It's not partial. It's not pieces of you that it can change. It has the ability to transform all of you, your thinking, your feeling, and your acting. And there was an urban city dweller. Say he was from Durham, North Carolina. He lived downtown Durham. And he traveled to an island in the South Sea. And this island was inhabited by cannibals. And the urban man from downtown was walking along the park, and he saw this island, uh, islander reading his Bible. And uh, he goes, well, I'm going to make it my mission to go up, talk to this guy, see he's reading his Bible. I'm going to let him know that modern, sophisticated man no longer trusts the Bible, no longer reads the Bible. I'm going to let him know to catch up with kind of modern times. And so he goes up and he begins to tell him why he shouldn't read it, why he shouldn't trust it. And the islander responds to the man from the city, and he says, well, well, actually, I know this book is true. I know it's true. And he says, you should too. And the man says, well, why is that? And the islander responds, because if it wasn't true, I would have already eaten you by now. <laughs> and he says, you see, this book has actually changed this whole island from cannibals to Christians. The Bible has the power to change the whole person, to convert the whole person. 
Christ Central Church, we are a church plant, nine months old. We are a baby church. And if we believe that we're changed and the city is changed by our willpower or by our gifts, we are in for a long road. We have to trust that God's Word changes people. We have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to speak about it. We have to preach it. So I must give you. We must give one another. We must give this city and we must give this world God's Word. It alone has the power. And when we see the power of God to change and to revive and to lead and to restore life through His Word, we'll say like verse 10, with the psalmist, that God's word is sweeter than honey to the soul. It is more precious than gold. And I started going on mission trips to China in 1997. And now the Bible in mainland China is way more accessible now. People have it. It's very accessible. But in 1997, uh, and then 1999, and then when I lived there from 2000 to 2002, and I've been back often, early on, the Bible was not accessible. And I would become great friends with people in China, students in China. And I would leave every time giving a friend my Bible. I would give them my Bible, and it would be often the first time that they ever saw a Bible, the first time that they had ever opened a Bible, and they would take it and they would, oh my goodness, this is God's Word. And they would be amazed. We have been given the very Word of God. People in the history of the church have actually died to give us God's Word in our language. 600 years ago, you could not get the Bible in your common language. Now we have it in many, many, many languages across the world. Let's not forget the gift that we have that God has given us. Is it more precious than gold? Is it sweeter than honey? To your soul. Well, how do we know if we've heard God's word? He speaks in creation, He speaks in His word. How do we know if we've heard Him speak? Let's look lastly at our response, which reveals if we've really heard. We see this in verses 12 to 14. Verses 12 to 13, a very personal response. It says, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous is just arrogant or willful sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of transgression. The psalmist's response here is not a peaceful, easy feeling. It's not some intellectual enlightenment. The response of hearing God speak through creation and in His Word is a broken heart. It is a repentant heart. Someone's pride has been broken. His response of great and humility. I heard Ray Cortez tell the story of a rabbi, an old rabbi who was spending time with a young apprentice. And, uh, and the young apprentice comes up to the old rabbi and says, when you talk to people about the Bible, you say, place the Bible on the heart. Why do you not say, place the Bible in the heart? And the old rabbi said, well, it's because the heart is hard. It's hard. And we must lay God's truth on the heart and allow its power to break the heart so that we can pray that then the Word of God would fall into the heart. God's Word, His law, His precepts, His commands are powerful to break our hearts and then lead us to cry out in repentance 
asking God to forgive us of unknown sins and the willful sins, arrogant sins. And then the beauty of God's Word is that in His verbal Word, it is a word of how much He loves us. Rachel can look back at letters to Rachel and be reminded of my love for her. We are able to come back over and over and over to the Word of God and be broken and humbled and being broken, we confess our sins and then in crying out to God, we pray, God, keep your servants from sin and lead us in righteousness. And then God, in His love and in our longing and our yearning, reminds us that He, the Father, provided the perfect servant the perfect servant who was able to keep the law perfectly, the servant who was blameless and without sin, he provided Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, who forgives and cleanses our sin. He is the one who revives our souls and gives life and light to our eyes. The whole Bible whispers the name of Jesus. In fact, the whole Bible shouts and proclaims and declares the name of Jesus. The written Word of God reveals the Word of God becoming flesh. And it is a story of great love towards us. And when we see this great love, our hearts are broken. And God's Word and God's love and grace and mercy come rushing into our hearts. And we see a Savior perfect yet crucified, risen and coming again. And we trust in Him, the perfect servant of God. And we cry out, Rock and our Redeemer. So go, be amazed at the works of creation. Look at art, look at beauty, look at the glory of a flower, a painting, a river, a good meal with friends, people talking and laughing, a crowd gathering. Look up in the sky, see the sun and the moon and the stars and be humbled that God is a creator God, an artist who created all of that and he has created us and he speaks to us and all of his creation. And then let's open and read and meditate and pray through the written word of God. In it, he reveals himself specifically. He's present with us, and he lets us know just how much he loves us. And his grace and his mercy break our hearts and leads us back to our Savior Jesus. And when that happens, we will leave our time with God in communion with him saying, may the words of my mouth, my declaration, my proclamation, not just creation, not just the written word, but let me declare, let me proclaim, and the meditations of my heart proclaim to the whole world that Jesus is the rock and the redeemer. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would open our ears, and open our eyes, open our hearts, Break our hearts. Break our hearts. We might hear you speaking. And in speaking, we would see the love that abounds, the grace that flows flows freely. We would see our Savior Jesus, perfect, righteous, reviving all of our life, restoring us, completing us in our brokenness and healing us. God, would you do that? Would you change us? In your name we pray. Amen. We come to...